I'm Emily Swinford, and with some help from my friend, Todd Studer at Todd Studer Productions, you are listening to Emily Sells Iowa, the podcast. Join me, my colleagues, clients, and friends as we discuss real-life real estate. Please note that the opinions and content of this podcast are my own and not necessarily the opinions of Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate, any realtor associations, or any other persons or entities. If your property is listed with a real estate broker, please know that it is not our intention to solicit the offerings of other real estate brokers. If you're interested in buying or selling properties, what is happening in your community, or what's new in the real estate world, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to this episode of Emily Sells Iowa. In studio today, Emily Swinford with Better Homes and Gardens, the Good Life Group offices in Glenwood and Council Bluffs, Iowa. Emily, thank you so much for your time as we're recording this. It's a little breezy and cold outside. Is it too early to start a countdown to spring? <laughs> I don't think so. It's it, We got an early first snow this year. So, But I'll tell you what, it's been kind of... Um, it's been kind of crazy. I still have two new listings coming on this week and two more that I know are coming on in the next couple of weeks. So there's snow on the ground and holidays are coming up, but people are still selling. Is that normal for you to be able to do that? You know, I kind of, um, I put it this way. So you're not going to have that much activity in the winter, but if somebody asks me if they should list their home in the winter, I'll usually say, well, there's pros and cons to everything, of course, but in the winter you have very little competition. Uh, the buyers that are out shopping are serious because nobody's doing it for fun this time of year. That's a good um, point. Yeah. And the sellers that are selling this time of year too, they're also serious. They're willing to move during the winter. So, um, you know, you might not have as much activity, but the activity that you do have, it's going to be um, probably hold a lot more potential than otherwise. Well, what kind of exciting things do you have going on? By the way, I got an invitation in the mail to uh, something that's coming up. uh, Well, as this is released, it's coming up tomorrow on November 22nd that you're giving me a pie. Is that what this is? Yeah, we've just uh, (laughs) we just got the pies ordered this week. And that is at Perea Cocktail Lounge next week. Uh, In Glenwood. In Glenwood. Yes. Yep. We have uh, live music. It's it's a give back to those that have either uh, used our services or uh, as a team, we we put this event on as a team uh, or those that have referred referred us clients or who have just kind of supported our business in general. So we do it every year. This is our fourth year doing it. Uh, And every year it just gets bigger and bigger. And then I have a surprise for you, Todd. Okay, I'm ready. Yes, so I have a brand new event also that we've never done before that we are going to kind of start putting together. So uh, we just put it out there, save the date, December 20th from 4 to 7 p.m. at Keg Creek Brewery. Uh, A good friend of mine, her name's Emily Prickett, so also Emily. She is going to um, lead the charge with me on this. We're calling it M&M Rap for Charity. Okay, tell me what this is about. Okay, first of all, do you get it, M&M? M&M, yes, I got M&M. Yep. Okay, so, and then, so we are going, we're not actually going to going to wrap, we're going to wrap gifts for charity at the brewery that evening, so people will be able to bring in their gifts, free will donation, everything will go back to local charities. So we're going to get some more information out on that in the coming weeks, but she's actually going to come on the show here with me on December 1st, and we're just going to talk about why we're doing this and all of the crazy ideas we've had leading up to it. So. It's a great uh, thing to do and in, in, in what you're talking about uh, uh, for charity to be able to raise some money. And yeah, to, if I don't have to wrap my own gifts, do you have any idea? And I'm a guy, so <laughs> you know what I'm doing. We're going to get a lot of last minute shoppers, yes. a lot of last minute wrappers, the, but it's going to be really fun. The day before, <laughs> I'm, I just, I'm, I'm down on my floor and I've got everything and I'm looking for a little peel cake and I get this covered with this and it doesn't look good and, and all of that. So kudos. That's a great idea. Yeah, we're having fun with it and our kind of tagline is we wrap, you drink. So I mean, what better arrangement than that is there? I'm, I'm on board. You've got me. <laughs> it wasn't a tough sell. No, not really. 
All right, we want to talk to you today uh, about some things that you do that maybe uh, folks who are not in the industry don't even realize is part of what comes with hiring someone like you. So let's uh, talk about some of these different things that you do that just make the process easier for either buyers or sellers, whoever you're representing. Yeah, so we always kind of say, we've talked a lot in the past 10 weeks about the behind the scenes, quote unquote, right? But what does that really mean? So that was kind of where I got the idea for uh, doing kind of this topic. Uh, So there are a lot of things that we do behind the scenes, and I've kind of narrowed it down to three that I don't know if people really know what we do or that I at least have some, um, I guess, stories to tell about what's gone on over the past year. So number one is we rebuttal appraisals. And I basically what that means is if there is a discrepancy between the purchase price on a home, what a buyer is willing to pay for it, and the appraised value on a home, what a third-party unbiased licensed appraiser comes in and says it's worth based on other area sales and a whole lot of other criteria, if there's a discrepancy between those two amounts, uh, we can help rebuttal that. So if if you're buying a house for 100000 and the appraisal comes in at, at 105000 yay, that's great. You got a deal or at least you got a fair, you know, fair deal. If you're buying a house for 100000 just for easy numbers, and the appraisal comes in at 90000 you have a big problem because the lender will not let you purchase a house for over the appraised value unless you as the buyer or the seller are willing to come to terms as to who's going to make up that difference in cash. Is there typical reasons why that discrepancy might be there? There's a lot of reasons, and I won't get into that. The worst situation I had uh, this year was I had an appraisal that came in at 40000 under the purchase price. And I don't know the reason on this one. It was one of those mind-boggling what happened uh, types of situations. And unfortunately, we did, a, we did rebuttal this appraisal, and we were not successful. So the house came back on the market, and we had a new appraisal done within a couple thousand dollars of the initial offer. You know, the, bu- the seller had to put it back on the market. The second offer was a little less than the first offer, but not $40,000 less. And with that second offer, we had zero appraisal issues. It appraised out just fine. So it's it's truly a third party, supposed to be unbiased opinion. And appraisers, uh, you know, for the most part, they're, they're great people. They're doing their jobs. Uh, in this case, we just kind of ended up with the weird situation where the appraiser came from out of state, wasn't familiar with the area. The lender wasn't from the area, which is why I tell people staying local does sometimes make things go smoother depending on your situation uh, or make sure you at least have a lender who kind of knows the area so that they have a panel of appraisals, appraisers that also know the area. So there's a whole lot that goes into it. So that one was unsuccessful. However, I've had three successful appraisal rebuttals this year, and two of those three have been on VA loans. And so the VA loan product has a special process where they allow, they, they issue what's called Tidewater if they know, if the appraiser knows that it's not going to come in at purchase price. And so you as a realtor and as a buyer and seller and lender all kind of get the heads up, hey, this is going to not appraise out unless you guys can present me with you know, some sort of reason why it should appraise out. And so it, it's a bit of a process. It can be lengthy. Uh, but there's uh, one of the misconceptions about a VA loan is that uh, they're, they're tougher to get done or there's more requirements. And, and, and actually, that's a, it's a total myth for a lot of reasons. But this is one of those reasons is there's actually an added level of protection for the veteran uh, so that we do have that opportunity to rebuttal an appraisal prior to even knowing what it's appraising out at. And I've had three successful, or I'm sorry, 
two of the three successful rebuttals that I did this year were based on that tidewater that VA loans accommodate. Well, I'm jumping back to a word that you used in the beginning of that, and that's opinion that it would be very easy if everyone's house was exactly identical and everyone had identical upgrades and all we could just use a mathematical formula at that point. But that's not what this is. You've got new homes, you've got used homes, you've got uh, you go back and some homes may be 100 years old uh, and they're all different shapes because, you know, the farther back you go, the more unique all the styles were back then, where now you'll have one builder that does maybe four or five different floor plans and that's it and that'll be through an entire neighborhood. It's a lot easier, I would think, at that point to be able to estimate a value where in the older homes, it's tougher because there's just so much uniqueness to every property. Right. And there's just so much that goes into it. It depends on the loan product. It depends on the appraiser. Sometimes it depends on your relationship with certain people involved in the transaction. And that's one of the reasons I say that is a behind the scenes thing that we do is because we don't want to tell you, you know, one, that there's a problem until we know there's a problem. So if we know there's a problem, we're going to, you know, we're going to keep you in the loop. Uh, But if we can predict that there may be an issue, you know, say we get an appraiser who we've had a history of, you know, low appraisals with and who has that opinion of the market, we make sure that we are sending them the comps, that we're putting them in the house that they're walking into. They can grab them off the kitchen counter. How can we make their job easier? We're fighting for you for hours rebuttaling some of these um, VA appraisals, trying to get them where they need to be. I mean, digging as deep as we possibly can into every resource that we have. And, And so... What you're not seeing, because we, we want to keep you, you know, positive and excited about the transaction, and we'll tell you if, if there is a problem, and we'll be honest and, and upfront with you. But sometimes people don't realize the fight that is going on for them behind the scenes, and that a lot of times happens during that appraisal process. A big job that you do is relieving stress and taking the anxiety away from people, and then you are just going to handle that. It's part of what I do here as well working with you. Now, you were very comfortable behind the microphone and you were right from the beginning. Other people that come in here, they've got some anxiety about it. So that's a big hurdle that we have to overcome. Same with you. You are taking anxiety away from people and handling those problems so they don't have to worry about it. Right. Um, And number two, not to be all doom and gloom here, but number two, Unfortunately, a lot of the behind the scenes stuff is the doom and gloom. That isn't all fun that shows up on podcasts and social media and websites and all that <laughs> of stuff. Course. But number two is uh, we help work through title issues, which isn't always a smooth process. And actually, what I just said, doom and gloom, is sometimes I'm talking to my you know my folks, my clients, and I'm, I'm trying to give them a realistic you know vision of how things are going to go. And I have to stop myself and say, you know, I'm really not trying to be negative here. I'm, I'm a positive person. I'm going to work really hard for you. But for me personally, it's always everything's easier if you know what the worst possible outcome is. So I, I say to my clients, if if we can wrap our minds around the worst case scenario here, and we're okay with that, worst case scenario, then everything from there is easy peasy, you know, we're not in, we're not here yet, you know, so, um, and I kind of, that's kind of how I might be due to anxieties, but that is kind of how I live my life. I'm always going to think of what's the worst thing that can happen. If I'm okay with that, then cool, this is going to be great. (laughs) It's actually very, very smart. And it's kind of advanced level psychology stuff you're talking about here, but it's right. You're right that if you can, if you can prepare for the worst, and it's not like you're concentrating on it and willing it into existence. It's not that it's just, okay, these are possibilities. We're going to do everything we can on the front end to make sure that those don't come to pass. And if they do, 
we already know how it is that we're going to deal with it. Right. And then I feel a lot met, a lot more confident when I walk away from somebody and I say, I'm going to make this go as smoothly as possible for you. Well, we're doing that together. It's just with some of those initial proactive uh, responses to certain things. L- that let me let around. me ask you this as a case example, because this has happened. Uh, I sold my house before I met you. So, <laughs> But this was about six months ago, and I got a call the other day from the title company saying that there was an issue that they had to work out with the title and they need me to come back in and sign paperwork again. So that is something that happens that you would need to take care of. Yeah. So um, number two is we, we help work through title issues and that can be before and sometimes after. After a sale, it's not quite as um, big of a deal or as high risk as it is as long as the right people like you show up at the right place to re-sign whatever needs re-signed. And when you actually close on your house as a seller, you may not have even realize this, but you do typically sign a document that says if something goes wrong, you're going to help them fix it. So uh, that's how they can kind of ensure that that sort of thing will take place. Well, you know, there's a lot of things that come up that people don't realize are connected to their home that can attach themselves as liens to their home. So child support is a big one. Um, And I'm not going to sit here and say, if you're behind on your child support, you can't sell your house. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that just like on any credit report, there's always those discrepancies. There's a number typed in wrong because at one time the you went to buy a car and they typed in, you know, they were not they were off a digit. Um, so there's all sorts of those types of things in your credit report that might show up your name spelled wrong. So same thing there. When they're pulling all of these recorded uh, items that are on your house or against your house, you know, there may be some things that were outdated that were never cleaned up that should have been. Uh, but we run into child support and credit card judgments a lot. A lot of times people don't realize that their credit card judgments may affect the sale of their home. There are loopholes to being able to work through some of these things. And that's a whole nother podcast uh, with with a guest who's an expert in that. But you have to have somebody, a real estate agent, who understands that there are these loopholes Otherwise, you might just get told by a title company, nope, sorry, you can't clear title. Well, there a lot of times there's, a, there's ways to get through that. Also, a lot of times we're on the phone as, as your agent for hours trying to get a hold of the right attorney to release a judgment that was paid three years ago and they never you know, did their job and released it. So there's all sorts of things that can go wrong and uh, they're very hard to work through unless you have experience doing that. I'm thinking about times of driving around town and seeing a sign in front of a house that says for sale by owner. And what you're talking about is, all right, these are things that that person is not going to know, that it, they're not going to have any clue that any of this is going on. And it's why uh, this industry exists, and it's why there are so many agents out there, because you're needed. Right. And appraisals, or, or I'm sorry, appraisers and title companies and escrow closers, they're all really great people just doing their jobs, just like us. But that's why you need to have somebody advocating for you uh, who's been through every transaction is different, but who's been through a lot of these different transactions or a newer agent who you know has a team or a brokerage they can lean on that's been through a lot of these situations. So you, you just want to make sure that... Um, you know, it, it's, it can be easy to sell your home. It can sell fast. It can sell for over asking. And you can close in three weeks to a cash buyer. But uh, that is a, typically an exception to the rule. And a lot of times there's stuff that's going on behind the scenes you might not know about. The real estate industry, just like any other industry, is constantly in motion. Things are changing. How is it that you keep up on everything that's going on? All sorts of different things. So there's the business side. There's the sales side. There's the transactional side. There's, you know, the relational side. So there's a lot of different ways to stay up to date on it. Um, As far as the actual, and actually this brings me to number three. So number three, things you don't know realtors did is uh, we actually do have to take uh, what's called CEU, continuing education units. So just like your hairstylists or, um, 
you know, other, I'm sure accountants and attorneys have to do, you know, their fair share of continuing ed to make sure they're staying up to date on what's new. And so every three years, our license renews and we have to prove that we've taken a certain amount of classes. And so those classes cover very little on all four of those things I just said. Um, So we have to use to, to stay up to date on trends. We have to, you know, go to a lot of different classes that might not be considered CEUs for licensing. That's a whole nother ballgame. Uh, but that is one thing that we we have to do is we have to take classes and, and keep our license in good standing. Do you get to choose what classes you're going to that count towards that? So if there's something that you know, that information that you need because you've heard there's a change in the industry, are you allowed to choose that or is it set and a- across the board and everyone's taking the same classes? A little bit of both, actually. So we have to take an ethics course. We have to take a law update course. So those have to be taken every three years. Um, after that, you do get to pick and choose. However, they all have to come from you know a pool of classes that are state-approved uh, with state-approved uh, instructors. That is uh, – well, I think that that would be a benefit to you because you, who knows better than you what information you need and – problems that maybe you have experienced before that you had to go try and find out information on your own. So now there's a centralized location where you can go and learn exactly what's happening. So I I think that's a great thing for the industry. Exactly. Well, and I'm one of those weird people that really loves school. You know, if if you want to pay for my master's degree, I'll go back and get it. I just, I really love that environment. I always enjoyed college and, and, well, I don't know about high school so much. Uh, I was always trying to get out early if I could, (laughs) but I really did enjoy college and I really did enjoy studying. But um, I do think like um, the law update, you know, that's a really important class. We sh- maybe we even should be taking it more than once every three years because things change so rapidly. But uh, I don't, you know, a lot of people don't understand that we that we have to continue on with our education after we get our license. Great information today, Emily. I think that uh, I know I've learned something, and I know that it can help put some people's minds at ease as they're going into that. And this is the types of things, a lot of these things, conversations that you're going to have with clients as they come in, whether you're selling a house for them or you're helping them purchase a house, you're going to run through these things with them as you're sitting down, probably right from the beginning. Yes. Yep. She is Emily Swinford. The podcast is called Emily Sells Iowa. Uh, Emily Swinford, with Better Homes and Gardens, the Good Life Group, offices in Glenwood and Council Bluffs, Iowa. We uh, thank you for being a part of it, and we thank you for listening. New episodes coming out every week. So uh, come back, tell your friends, and leave comments. Let us know if there's any information that you would like to learn on this podcast, because uh, Emily would love to be able to share that with you. So until next time, take care.